I'm going to talk about Acts chapter 6, but I'm not going to talk about the whole chapter. I'm going to talk about a portion of the chapter. I don't even think we're going to read the whole chapter tonight because um, we're going to make good use of this half of remainder of our time. The other reason why is because it's interesting that this chapter uh, 6 has some dynamic in it that I'll get into in just a little bit, but it's a little reason why we're going to stay focused on the first part of chapter 6. As a young boy, I had the privilege of having a granddad and a Grammy that came from southern Arkansas and moved out here to San Pedro, California. They kept the southern Arkansas in them by the fact that they loved to go hunting and fishing. And so as a young boy, I was blessed to be able to go on these trips with them. And I would get up really early in the morning and get stuffed in the back of a weekender camper on my granddad's Ford F-250 truck. Maxie and I would be in the back of the camper, headed out somewhere um, to have an incredible weekend. One of the best things about that camper is when I sat down at the, um, the uh, table, there was a map on that table of the United States and every single highway that crisscrossed across this great nation. From that point on, I always had an incredible love and appreciation for maps. Now, we don't get to use them anymore. Some of you in here don't even know what a Thompson's map is, right? Uh, for those of us who uh, were pre-GPS, it was a book that you would pull out and put pages together to find out to get how to get from A to B. You know, maps are something that are pretty incredible, and they're ancient. Maps are something that before there were even paper maps were put together by things like bark and clay and rock and sticks. There was a tribe that existed that even sang songs that reflected the the tides and the swells that would help their tribe get from one place to the other. Maps have had a credible history throughout civilization. I mention that because Acts has been something that has been a map for us to understand the trajectory of the early church from its beginning, its inception, from how it took everything from the the, the people of God who understood the interaction of God with his people through the synagogue and the law. When we had the amazing prophecy fulfilled of the life of Jesus that came and walked amongst the people of God, it was at that point in time that we are now reading the beginning of the church that happened in that pivotal transformational moment in the history of the universe. And so we know that there are amazing things to share about that massive transformation of the entire universe and everything that exists. The beauty about Acts is it gives us a glimpse into the transformation of the people of God, the men and women, including you and me, and how we continue in this amazing tradition now 2,000 years old that was handed over by God's people to the new people who had a relationship with Jesus Christ, the man in their midst. Acts 
was something that happened after Jesus went back up into the presence of God, the Holy Spirit given to his church and his people. And we have in these chapters what happened in those early days. The Holy Spirit at work in each individual and the activities of the church as they developed. Now, so far over the previous weeks that I've been with you, I've highlighted some of the um, amazing things that occurred that were very unique to this new Christian church. And those were things like people that were higher in society and lower in society coming together and fellowshipping amongst each other. These were things like people being healed of diseases and brokenness that were outcasts, being healed and brought to wholeness for the purpose of them being embraced and included in the larger congregation of God. People with means, money, big, big money, and people that were below poverty, in deep despair with financial needs, brought together by the presence of the new life in the church, which is why we talked about stories of everybody bringing all their belongings and distributing them amongst each other, of why we hear about the transformation that took place between high society coming and fellowshipping with those with little or no education. All of this created an incredible playing field of togetherness, of inclusion, of diversity and equality, things that we talk about all the time now in the political arena, in the corporate arena. We talk about them all the time now. These are 2,000 years old in which the church has embraced this reality of diversity. The Pentecostal movement that we are a part of is strongly identified with an incredible inclusion of people from different colors and races brought together by the movement of the Holy Spirit in our contemporary age. And then let's look at what happens. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give them our attention to prayer, to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, they prevented these men, they presented these men to the apostles and prayed, laid their hands on them. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large 
number of priests became obedient to the faith. Was not meaning to be selfish in reading tonight. Didn't share the opportunity to read. It's not because there were some tongue twister names in there that I didn't share the reading. Partly because of time. We're going to stop there in part because, as I said, there's a little bit of an interesting, interesting thing going on in Acts chapter 6. And that is, after we leave this, there is an introduction of Stephen. And Stephen goes into some amazing debate and um, banter and confrontation with people in the synagogue. Now... I don't know that it will be me, but I believe that there will be an opportunity in chapter 7 to spend a lot of time on the content that Stephen gets into that is very interesting because it connects a lot of the Old Testament realities that is a part of his understanding, and he brings them to play against what's happening in the synagogue, and I want that to be a little bit more congruent, and I hope that's what occurs next time The gathering happens here on a fine Wednesday night. But let's look at this first section here in chapter 6. A little interesting, isn't it, after I just got through talking about our previous chapters and all this homogeneity, all this inclusion, where it opens up with talking about that there's two different groups that are having at it. Right in the midst of the newness of the church of this fresh conception of what it means to be a part of the family of God, they're duking it out. There's confrontation in the midst. What's nice to know about that is the author of Acts is not intending to try to sugarcoat anything. He's putting all the hardship out there for us. He's certainly sharing the glorifying moments that are a part of the newness of the church. But one of the things that's beautiful about Scripture is it shows a lot of the warts and the scars and the bruises that are a part of the family of God. Now, I know if you're looking at me and I'm looking at you, we can easily see a good version of the warts and bruises and brokenness within our own family right here. So we don't have anything to worry about or be overly concerned about in the fact that there is brokenness here within our individual selves or even within the church itself. This church ain't perfect. This church has had some bumps and bruises along the way, and we're still trying to find ways to heal, and the church will always be finding ways to heal because people are involved, and when people are involved, there's going to be some funky stuff going on. And brokenness is a part of our life. It's never been the reason why we don't come. It shouldn't be the reason why we don't come. Pastor T's prayer was just that. Why would anybody stay away simply because there's something that appears to be a bit broken? Now, we live in a day and age where it's easy for people to pick up and go down the road. We live in a day and age where it's easy to watch church from the sofa No offense for anybody who's online. There could be good reason that you're watching church from the sofa. I'm just saying it is a choice. And if you have a choice, it's an important thing to reflect on and be a 
be aware of and know that a lot, a lot more happens when you rub shoulders with people and when you see the bruises and you see the scars and you smell them and you come here and you stick it out together and you learn how to live it out together with people that are different than you, that aren't talking like you, that don't come from the same background as you. It grounds us in our humanity. More importantly, it grounds us in the spirit of Christ. And there are so many opportunities for you and I to be a part of dynamic in this church where you can rub shoulders with people like that, that will keep you grounded in humanity, that will keep you grounded in the spirit of Christ. Please look for them. There's a whole thing happening on the other building about discipleship and finding a way to be leaders in that and be a part of that in some type of leadership way. Now, if you want to leave and go over there, by all means do. I'm not going to be offended. Or you can wait till next time and not show up, but be over there. That's okay too. But I think we're going to get some good stuff in here just as well in learning a little bit more about Acts. So we continue with the trajectory of what's happening in the new church. I hope we have a little bit of moment to talk about this office that I'll call it that's brought up here, right? There's something that happens where the disciples are in a place where they need to create an office, a specific ordained response to the need of this conflict that exists, and then, how do we relate to that? The two different groups, it's pretty simple. There were Jews in Jerusalem that spoke Hebrew. Maybe, I think, more primarily Aramaic. And these synagogues were Aramaic speaking. And then there were Hellenistic Jews these were people who were a part of the new church who came from the diaspora, which was the exodus of Jews out of Jerusalem, who went into areas where they learned different languages. They came back, and they were a part of the new gathering of the church, right? One congregation speaking Aramaic, the other speaking Greek. There was dynamic going on. Now, we have something a little bit similar, don't we? We have English speaking going on in here. I'm sure there's some building around here where Spanish is going on. We know on Sunday mornings, both happen right here. Now, that's a beautiful thing. I think we all celebrate that. But there's challenges that come with that. I know if you've ever been in a bilingual service, it goes a little bit longer. People might get grumpy. I know that when you're in some type of an event where it's bilingual, some people feel like they get left out. It's not translated enough. Those are just simple things about how conflict can occur. But then when you get into the stuff about, man, that group of people, they do things a certain way, and I don't get it, and I don't like it, and I don't know if I can hang out with it. I mean, now you're getting to some serious stuff, right? That's the stuff that makes the church real. That's the stuff that puts our faith, um, it meets the rubber with the road, right? We know a little bit about that, but that's what's happening in the early church. Now, you know, human nature says that the predominant one, the one that's been there the longest, they're going to get the most attention, aren't they? Well, that's what's happening here. 
the Jewish-speaking group within the new church, are getting the most attention. So the widows and the needy of that group are getting better cuts of steak. They're getting an extra order of french fries. They're getting their iced tea refilled a lot faster than the other group. The other group might be getting um, less, uh, less an, um, of a cut of steak. They may not getting the condiments like the other group. They're not getting taken care of as well. And so they're getting frustrated. They're getting upset. And there's contention in the air. Now the disciples are doing their work of preaching the gospel. And it's in that work that they're really feeling that is uh, most important in what they're doing. But here's where the office is created, right? They recognize that there is something essential about the life of the church and taking care of the needy. And so they say that there should be a time in which they designate seven individuals to become um, what they're called deacons now. We don't have deacons in our tradition. There are a lot of Christian traditions out there that have the office of deacon as a part of their church hierarchy. Now, this is where it comes from. There is an idea that seven individuals will be chosen who are full of the Holy Spirit. And there will be something that will happen to them that will put them in the position to be able to serve those needs just mentioned. They're doing this because the apostles who want to teach the gospel know that if they take time away from sharing the word, then there will be a loss. And so it is important for there to be a complement of those who will serve. And they're called deacons. And so they identify them. And what do they do that's unique in this moment is, is they gather them together and they lay hands on them. Now, just for a little history, I think it's okay to little, get a little bit of history about the church. This idea of laying hands on them is an essential part of the story because it's a setting apart of these seven individuals to do this work. This laying on of hands didn't come up in this story. There is incredible ancient tradition that starts all the way back in Genesis, comes through the story of Moses and Joshua down through the patriarchs in which there is intentional text that shares about the importance of laying on of hands of one individual to another to impart a special blessing and gift for them to be able to fulfill a role that God has for them. There is something very important about that. Now, I've had hands laid on my shoulders at a service when I became ordained within the tradition that we are connected to called the Assemblies of God. Most of the ministers up here, I'm sure, have had that in one way or the other. The belief in that is that it's an apostolic succession that happens all the way from the Old Testament right here to this moment where we read about these seven all the way down the line through the Christian church to the same hand from Reverend Robinson who put his hand on my shoulder and blessed me at that moment of ordination. Now, 
getting into a little bit of the dynamic of Acts and the dynamic of the office of deacon, I'll share a little bit of what I've appreciated and learned about um, what happens in that moment of laying on of hands. And much of what I'm going to share comes from an understanding of what's in Scripture. Some of what I am wrestling with in life constantly is knowing what that means in my case as an ordained minister. And I know when I say that, I already put myself in somehow a position different from you who aren't ordained. And that um, is just a reality of life. But I want to hopefully talk about it in our remaining time with a little bit of help. There is a number of things in, in Scripture that talk about something that's imparted upon an individual by that actual laying on of hands. In 1 Timothy 6.6, it says, wait a minute, pardon me, 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So right there, it says that there was a unique gift that was given at the moment in time when hands were put on the individual in that moment of what might be called ordination. What does that mean? Well, you have to figure out what that means for you if you're not ordained. I have to figure out what it means for me if I am ordained or I'm in the presence of someone else who's ordained. I think the idea of special gifts that are given to somebody in that moment when hands are laid upon them is something that resonates within our spirit when we sense that reality in another individual. Now, I may bore the heck out of you, and you may not see any gift in me whatsoever. Now, that might be my fault, and it might be your fault. That's just reality. But I think all of us have probably at one point in time been around an individual where we've seen that gift or felt that gift in that human being, in that man or in that woman, and it's touched us. It's drawn us near to that gift. What's important for us to remember is how we interact with that gift is something that should be paid attention to. Sometimes that gift or our reaction to it may be so important and so life-giving, and we need to treasure that. I know when I've been in moments of crisis in my life, when I've had someone who I know has had that gift it has brought me so much peace in the moment of that anxiety. I know there are moments in time when I don't feel like I'm on the edge of some big dangerous event and I feel like life is going pretty good. I may not be as sensitive to that charismatic gift that is in that individual. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. What it means I have to be responsible and know where do I align myself with it if it's not moving me, if it's not bringing tears to my eyes, if I don't feel a tingle run through my body and healing happen right in that moment, that does not mean that that charismatic gift that is in that person 
or in within me is not important and need to be realized about life. Right? There are moments when we hear words and we hang on to every one of them. It's taken us through a dark moment. And there are times when the words don't move us, but they're important. And those words take more effort on our own to be able to wrestle with them, think through them, bring other thoughts that we've had in our life of faith in order to be responsible and mature as Christians. Now, this is a new church, and new dynamics are happening. This is a time in which people are taking care of need. Now, the beautiful thing about that is it ties right in to the person of Jesus Christ himself. You may think that the gift of preaching is less than the gift of serving tables. And for some, they may say, yes, indeed it is. And I might argue with them a little bit, and they may be right, and I may be right sometimes. But I think the reality is, is recognizing that they're giving this individual, these individuals with the gift of service to the needy are put in an amazing place when you recognize that it is right in line with our Savior himself. Because he was the one, was he not, who washed his disciples' feet. He was the one, in his own words, said, I have not wanted to take on the position of lordship, but to be a slave. These are radical words by Jesus. Radical behavior by the king of the universe, where he stopped to wash the feet of his disciples. And so I'm simply calling out that this idea of the office of those who take care of the needy is such an important work and important for us to find the way for, for ourselves to be able to align to this kind of effort. There's things that happen within the church with this introduction of the new office. The idea of stirring into flame that gift within us that's been given to each and every one of us because no one may have touched your shoulder and ordained you, but that does not take away the fact that we are certainly people that understand that the gifts that have come from the Holy Spirit belong to each and every one of us. And so when we hear things like fanning into flame, that which the Spirit has given to you, that goes for each and every one of us. To know that that Spirit has come to you at a particular time and will come to you in the future. And it's, it's in moments when it's most difficult, I think, that we have to stir and fan into flame that spirit. But here we see what's happening in the new church. There were some given to preach. There were some given to serve. In that the people became empathic. The, church, the church's ability to have empathy for one another was alive and well. Hang on to that thought. We are here in large part because of those seven who took the time to serve the tables because that tradition has gone on all the way down to that moment in time when you and I have been helped in the, in the service of the church, by the service of the church.
The beginnings of the church and in the story of Acts, the Spirit speaks. The people hear. Preaching happens. Serving happens. Churches are planted. Missionaries are sent. And the world is changed. In this particular story, service is not meant to simply maintain. We see so much right now in Ukraine and the talk about things that are being sent into this horrible scenario. These are, these are attempts and gestures that are so important, but they're about continuing to help people simply stay alive, just to maintain a sense of humanity, to have a resemblance of human dignity in which uh, in, a, in a time in which they're being bombed to smithereens. The difference between that and what's happening in the story of Acts is that what happens in this story about helping people in need is not about just maintaining, but it's maximizing, it's growing, it's expanding the church. And we hear it in Acts, how the church grows and people are coming to know the Lord through this effort. And so I end with these two minutes talking about what happened at the beginning of the Christian church and recognizing that there was something called out in the midst of friction and turmoil within this new family of God. Friction is a natural instinct of being human. The call to serve was an attempt to help the church to grow, and a need was seen. The church grows today and continues to grow because of what was started there. We're here because of that. But something that's changed, and I think something that is important in this last moment, is to consider the fact that we as a church no longer tend to have an identity that is so grounded in the truth of the Spirit of God. We often are a church that tends to be enculturated by what happens in society. Where we grow up, how we grow up, how we're educated, the places that we work, the people who we try to befriend, the people who we try to get accepted by, all are an amazing mosaic that become a part of who we are from the beginnings of our lives through our development into adulthood. We bring all of that into the church. And so I think it's important to know that and to think about how we each bring that into the church. What do we challenge about that? What is our lifestyle in its most profound sense? How do we become identified with the spirit that's been shared in the story of Acts about the newness of this church and the inclusion and diversity and the equality that exists there, even reflecting the fact that there was a bit of dissension, but there was an intentional effort by the Holy Spirit to pour into people's lives to help that church to grow to where we are today. What's the takeaway? 
Well, there's special offices and ordinations that exist that are important for us to know about in our church. There's an importance to learn about coming together and being together in our church that started back then. There is something about our own personal lifestyles that even though we are converted, even though we have a new life in Christ, there's so much about who we are as individuals that make up who we are that has to continually be reflected upon, disciplined, paid attention to, understood, wrestled with, engaged in conversation and friendship with in order to be able to learn better about what we bring into the church in order that we could live and thrive like Pastor T called out. That we could be a church that certainly has brokenness, that certainly has busted up places, that certainly has warts and scars and bruises, but is alive with the Holy Spirit and is able to overcome whatever lifestyle we bring in here with and we interact with each other with, serve each other with, that we know that the Holy Spirit is at work within us and that this church will grow as we continue to stay close to the power of the Holy Spirit that is definitely a part of this church, definitely a part of the leadership that guides this church that is in that succession of ordained individuals called by God. Will you encourage one another? Will you encourage me? Will we encourage one another in that walk? You're doing it by being here. That's a good place to start. Will you become more involved in helping the need that exists at this church? Will you be more involved in helping the ministries that are here to help this whole spirit of beginning to continue to grow? Bring what you are. Bring who you are. Bring your bruises. Bring your messed up lives. Know the Holy Spirit is at work in you and in me. And this church will stay alive and it will thrive in Jesus' name. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the spirit of the prayers, requests that began this evening that are close to your heart. Thank you for your word that searches our spirit as we search it. May we grow a little bit closer to you. And may we live with that and work with it and be blessed by the grace that comes with it. We leave now tonight into the remainder of the week. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost, everybody said, Amen. God bless you, Mission Ebenezer Family Church.